Hello and thanks for streaming this episode from ACF Church. Our hope is that this word would encourage you to walk closer with God and with your local church. We hope you consider partnering in the work God's doing here by joining a life group, serving, and giving. If you'd like to give financially to the mission of ACF Church, you can do so safely on our website at acfak.org or by texting the amount to 907-341-4213. Now prepare your hearts to hear God's word. What's up, 11 a.m.? How you guys doing? Welcome to church. You made it today on this. It's just cold outside, bitter cold, but here you are. You're in church. If you're new, we just want to say welcome uh, to ACF. We hope that you can find a, a safe place to wrestle with your faith and your doubts together with us. And I want to welcome everybody who's online with us. Can we thank them for being our extended family as well? Um, I got an email this week. There's a group of people from Craig, Alaska watching online. So, uh, Craig, what's up? We love you. So, uh, yeah, we can give it up for Craig, Alaska. Um, I love this. So, it's just fun. It's fun that we've got this kind of expanding group of people um, that are part of the ACF family and, and many uh, who have even left Alaska but still stay connected online. And so, um, if you're new, we just, we're just we glad that you're here with us. And we are in a series uh, called uh, All the Fields. And we're talking about how really God has given us emotions and feelings and, and they're a good thing. And how uh, over the years, I think in many ways, the church has separated emotional maturity from spiritual maturity. And what we've made a case for throughout this series is that you cannot be spiritually healthy unless you are emotionally healthy. And, and this isn't a self-help series. We've actually made a theological foundation for emotions and how God created us as humans. And he created us with emotions. And our emotions are good things. Even if in your family emotions have been bad things. Or even if in your life you felt maybe controlled by your emotions. God has given us emotions. He's given us a, a way that we feel about things. And, and we want to get our, our heads wrapped around our emotions and control them and use them uh, to further the purpose that God has given us in our lives. And many people, I would say, struggle feeling their faith. I'd say a lot of people struggle feeling their faith, and a lot of people have a faith that doesn't seem to impact their daily lives, and maybe lack passion uh, for Jesus and passions for, th for the things of God. And I would say it's because we lack emotional health. We have failed to connect our emotions to our faith, because when our emotions are connected to our faith, we get passionate about the things that God is passionate about. So that's what we want to do in this series. We've been kind of dealing with our past, dealing with where we've come from, and, and uh, we're moving forward in that today. So a quick question as we start off, who has ever been humbled before? Anybody ever been humbled before? So I feel like my life is a journey of little moments where I get humbled, where, you know, maybe I, I think I'm more than I am, and then I go through something and I realize my place in the world. And it made me think of this situation when we first came up to Alaska, 
we actually went on sort of a southeast Alaska tour, uh, loaded our car up on the ferry, the Tustamina. Anybody ever been on the Trusty Tusty? Uh, you can go down and tour around southeast Alaska. We went down to Sitka. And so uh, we had, it was me and my wife, and we're walking around through Sitka, and then my daughter Cadence, and I guess this was like eight years ago, a while ago, so she's much younger. But Cadence is walking around on the trail in front of us, and she's picking up pine cones like little kids do, and, and uh, I, I, all of a sudden she bends over, and she's playing in the dirt, picking up a pine cone. And I don't know where it came from, but I thought, I'm going to go leapfrog over my daughter. And, and I'm like, I'm going to be like the cool dad that has super great ups, which I don't. I should have thought about this earlier. And I'm like, I'm going to jump over my daughter. And she's be like, whoa, my dad's so cool. Look, he can fly over top of me. And so I didn't even tell Amanda. I'm just, I'm 10 feet behind her. And it just, it hit me. And sometimes ideas hit me. And I just got to act on them, right? And so I act, I start running towards Cadence. And, and as I get into the air, she stands up. And I just flatten my daughter to the ground. And, and like, this is, a, this is an all-out digger. Her face is in the dirt, like rocks. She's cut her face up. People around me are all over the place, like, judging me. Like, you're a terrible father, right? And she's getting up. She's screaming, blood-curdling, crying. Like, she has no idea what's happened to her. And I'm just like, I am such a loser. Oh, what's wrong with me? In fact, I've got proof. Here's a picture. I know, right? Look at you, now you're judging me, right? <laughs> Somebody's like, I'm going to report you to Child Protective Services. It's been, it's been like eight years, trust me. Nobody will believe you. So, uh, put it down, put it down. It's just terrible. One of those moments as a dad where I'm like, oh, so dumb. Why did I do that? And uh, I, I feel like throughout my life, I could tell you a hundred more stories of moments where I was humbled by something I went through, by the circumstances that I found myself in, by a situation that I caused. Like, it was all my fault, and I was humbled through it. And, and so we're going we're gonna to talk today about being humbled. And, and this is actually part of us being uh, like Jesus, is that we would learn what it looks like to be humbled. And so I want to talk specifically about the one thing that I think can really derail your emotional health, the one thing that I think can take away everything that is good in your life. I would say the one thing that can absolutely collapse, the, the strongest of organizations or even of countries, the one thing that can destroy our lives, and what is that one thing? It's pride. It's pride. It's not a fun word. It's not a fun conversation, but it is a needed conversation that we would deal with our pride. Now, now, I'm not talking about a good pride. Maybe you're like, well, pride's good. I take pride in my family, pride in my job. That's a good kind of pride. I'm talking about a negative sort of pride, the, the pride that results in you overworking because you cannot deal with failure, right? There is no way. Like, your identity is in your job. Your job is your life, and if you fail at something, you will, your whole life will collapse, and so that's that kind of pride. The pride that, that causes frustration with your children, where you've got that, that son or that daughter that is not living up to your expectations and they represent you, right? They are an extension of you, and so when they fail, you fail, so you've got to be hard on them and, and rail on them when they fail, that kind of pride. The kind of pride that, that causes you to give up on difficult things or to never start difficult things. The kind of pride that would keep you doing the same things that you win at through your whole life, never trying stuff that you could fail at. How about the kind of pride that results in a lack of openness with people? The kind of pride that causes you to come into a place like this and feel like you have a certain persona to keep? You know, I just want people to think I have it all together, like I was smoking in the parking lot, throwing on the Dracar Noir on the way into church so nobody smells me. You know, the kind of pride that makes sure when you come in here you act like this sermon's not for you, right? 
So just, just so you know, like, keep the elbows close during this sermon. Don't be texting your mom, like, Mom, Mom, there's a great sermon online for you today. This sermon's for you. It's for me. It's for all of us right here. Pride is hard. Pride is, pride is maybe the one thing that we have a hard time seeing in the mirror in our lives. Maybe it's impossible, I would say, for some of us to see our own pride in the mirror. It's the pride that causes us to never say, I'm sorry. Like, it's the pride that keeps you digging your heels in on the one thing that you're right about and not acknowledging the ten things that you're wrong about in the conversation, right? Because you have pride. It's pride that results in anxiety because of social media, right? Like, what if they don't like my post? And what if nobody thinks the lighting was perfect on my Instagram? Like, this kind of pride is not healthy. There's even, an, I would say, another brand of pride that keeps us from receiving from people. The, the brand of pride that keeps us from accepting from people, where we're like, no, no, we think it's humility, but it's actually pride that people cannot serve us. They can't love us. They can't help us because we're, we're good. No, we're good. And so I, I struggle with that a lot of times. In fact, we uh, just spent some time with a bunch of ACF men on the ACF bro treat, which was awesome. I had a great time with a, a bunch of guys on that retreat, and as we're checking in, uh, to the retreat, the guys are getting into their rooms, and they're in these rooms with, like, a bunch of beds in them, and the guys are all stacked in there, and I get to the, up to the counter. I'm like, where am I? And they're like, oh, you get your own cabin, because you're one of the pastors, right? And I was, I was speaking there, and so all the other guys are around me judging me, right? Like, oh, you get your own, ca- own cabin, huh? You think you're something special, right? They're giving me a hard time about this, and I really like, was, like, struggling receiving this, like, opportunity, and it turned out great, you know, I had a chance to spend some time in the cabin with some other pastors and, and uh, do some great uh, talking with them. But, and it wasn't even as, as good as it sounds. Like one of the jets in the hot tub didn't work and the room service was a little late and the steak was a little cold. So it's not, it wasn't even that good. But um, it's hard sometimes to receive. Um, it's hard sometimes when you, when you worry about what other people think, right? And so for me, like I, I, I struggle with that. I struggle with all of the others to one degree or another. So maybe you're here and you're like, do I have pride? Is there pride in my life? Here are some signs of pride. You feel the need to be known. Like in all situations, you don't like get, going into a big room and people don't know who you are. And so your first thing is like, people need to know me, right? They need to know my name. They need to know some things about me. So you got to get out there. Make sure you are known in the room. How about the need to be liked? For you, you will abandon the people who do like you to go make sure the person who doesn't starts to, right? You'll invest all this energy to make sure everybody likes you. It's the need to be envied. It's why you bought the truck that you cannot afford or the house that you can't pay for because you want for people who maybe don't even know you to think that you're awesome, right? And so we'll get into debt to be envied. We'll do a lot of things. We'll do stupid things so that people will envy us. How about the need to be followed, that somebody is learning from you and getting things from you, and you've got this authority in somebody else's life that you're teaching them? The need to be admired, that people would really love some things about your life, or even think that you're attractive, and they're like, you know, man, I wish I looked like her, or I wish I looked like him, and we have this need in our lives. How about the need to be heard, where, you know, like, State of the Union happened, and you're on Twitter and Facebook because everybody needs your political input, right? And so they got to know how you felt about the speech. They got to know how you feel about the bill. And, and so we have this need to be heard. Everybody needs my opinion in their lives. This is all pride, and pride is kind of sneaky, and we see pride throughout the stories in the Bible. All through the Bible, pride is really something that's on the headline of each situation. When, 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 a, when a country fails or a leader fails, it, it always boils down to pride. 
But at the same time, we see pride being squashed and destroyed in other people's lives. And there's this whole book uh, in the Bible about a man who actually dealt with his pride and, and, and worked through it well. It's the book of Job. And I, I'd encourage you, if you've never read the book of Job, open that up this week, uh, read through it. It's an intense book, but it's about a man who loses everything. He loses everything, and he deals with his own pride in a way that honors God and serves his purposes. And now we look at Job and we're like, man, that would really stink. I, I'm, I'm so glad that I never lost everything and that I haven't had to go through this. But uh, from the book that we're studying through as a church, I want to read this quote. He says this, Job is the story of us all. Job lost everything in one day, his family, his wealth, his health. Most of us experience our losses more slowly over the span of a lifetime until we find ourselves on the door of death, leaving everything behind. We lose our youthfulness. No amount of plastic surgery, cosmetics, good diet, or exercise routine can stop the process of growing older. We lose our dreams. Who has not lost dreams, dreams of a career or marriage or child or children for which we had hoped? We lose our routines and stability in transitions. Each time we change jobs, immigrate to a new country, or move is a loss. Our children grow more independent and more powerful as they move through their life transitions. Our influence and power decreases. So he's making a case that Job is the story of you and me. We all will lose everything. Like, it's a good sermon, right? We all will lose everything, but what will we learn through losing things? You see, loss has the power to embitter our hearts or enlarge our souls. It has the power to change us into the people that God intends us to be, to humble us, or it can embitter us towards others and ultimately towards God. Loss has power in our lives, and we talked last week about loss, about a dark night of the soul, about how we all have gone through seasons or maybe are coming into the season where we don't know what to do, and we don't know how to deal with this loss in our lives, and loss is something God, I believe, wants to use in our lives. So here's a good question to ask. If you're dealing with loss, if loss is coming, a good question to ask would be, what is God wanting me to lose through my loss? What is God trying to remove from my life through my loss? Because have you ever lost something for the better? Have you ever lost something that you wanted and, and struggled through it and then been like, no, this was ultimately the best thing? Here's a few things. God, I think God wants me to lose my independence. You see, through loss, I realize that I can't go it alone. I think I can, but this is often when people plug into ACF groups or when people come to church is when they lose something because they realize, okay, I need community. I need people around me. I need some help. I think maybe God wants me to lose my self-centeredness. I think through loss, we end up seeing the needs of others as, as larger. And we used to write it off, and that person seems super needy, but now we're like, no, they just could use a hand. And so we lose our self-centeredness. We uh, lose our, our greed. Loss, it's amazing, will result in generosity in your life in so many different ways. The people that I know have lost the most are oftentimes the, the, the most generous people that I know. They just have this perspective on their life that they're like, hey, it's all going away anyway, so I might as well give it away. Might as well be generous. God wants me to lose my idols, the things that I worship over him. God wants me to lose my entitlement through my loss, which is huge, this feeling that we deserve anything in the eyes of God. So God wants us to lose things through our loss. And I would say specifically, this all boils down to our pride. First Peter 5, 5 says, all of you clothe yourselves 
with humility towards one another because, listen to this, because God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. That's a big statement, isn't it? It's a big statement. We start off by saying, who's been humbled? Everybody in the room has been humbled, which means that we all struggle with pride, right? So here's the truth. Here's the kind of scary truth is that God actually opposes the proud. God opposes. This word to oppose is is to resist. Or another way would be putting it it would be to, to square off against. Like I still remember the first time that I squared off against my dad right? Anybody remember that moment where you were, you know, to this point in your life, when, when you'd get in trouble, you'd kind of turn sideways, and you'd be like, yeah, and I'm sorry, you know, and you'd take it, but then at some point, you think, I think I can take him, right? <laughs> I think I can do it, and so I still remember clear as day, like my dad's saying, hey, you, you failed, you blew it, and uh, I'm sure I did, and I was like, I did, huh? You know, like physically ch- changing my, my positioning towards my dad, like I think I think I can, I think I can handle this, and I, I couldn't, by the way. I, I learned the hard way not to square off up against my dad, right? Because he was the final authority. And so I just imagine God himself squaring off up against the proud and the pride in our lives. Like that moment when pride is swelling up, and, and I'm thinking, man, I am something that I'm not. God himself, the creator of the universe, squaring off up against you or me. That's terrifying, right? Saying, I will show you who you are in the universe. And so, literally, God opposes the proud in that sense, but he shows favor to the humble. Do you see that as well? Do you see that when humility flows from your life, that God always works it out? In one way or another, we see his grace on those situations or on those people. So then he says this in verse 6, humble yourselves, therefore. Since we we now have this news, um, so none of you are ignorant to this. None of us are. We all have this news that God opposes the proud, He says, therefore, humble yourselves under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. So essentially, Peter gives us two options. You can humble yourself or you can be humbled. And now when I get this news, I'm like, man, I sure hope I can humble myself, right? Because we've all been humbled. We've all been in those situations. We've all, by God's grace and love for us, been, been put through things that, were, that we would never want to have happen. And ultimately, we were humbled by those things. He says, because of this information, now that you have it, you should want to humble yourself instead of letting the, the situation humble you. I, I remember as a parent, um, uh, you know, just looking back a few years ago and seeing how far I have come in, in humility as a parent, because when I was single— and when I was first married to Amanda, I had all kinds of opinions about parenting. I mean, I, I, could teach, I could tell all of you how to win as a parent, right? It's amazing how single people have great opinions about parenting. And then you have a child, and you're like, I didn't know a thing, right? They're a little human being. You can't control them. They just do what they want to do. You do everything in the books and everything right, and they still act the way that they act. They're still throwing their food at McDonald's and screaming at their sister. And, like, it still happens, and, but I'm doing it all by the book. And I am humbled as a dad. But I had to go through it to experience that humility. What if we were then to, to go, you know what, instead of being humbled, I want to humble myself. Now, now, by God's grace, he might send me through some things uh, that I will be humbled by, but I want to humble myself. Really, the big question of the day is this, how can we humble ourselves? How can we do this? What practically can we do to take steps forward in humility? I think the first thing to acknowledge is that humility is a process. It's not a destination. 
Like, I don't want anybody in the room to be like, well, I'm humble, so this isn't for me. <laughs> right? If you said that, then this is for you. This whole thing's for you. Because none of us arrive at humility. Humility actually mo is modeling the process that we have as Christians, which is to become more like Christ Jesus till the day that we die. Uh, the theological term is sanctification. That there's this journey that we go on, where there's this moment that we receive God's grace, that he steps into our lives, we realize we can't do it alone, that we could never make ourselves right before a holy God, and he says, listen, I will give you the grace that you cannot earn. And, uh, nothing of your doing, nothing of your goodness, I'm going to give you the gift of grace, and I'm going to heal what's been broken in your life. And so God grants us that, well, that's just the beginning of the journey. So now we spend the rest of our lives learning what it looks like then to be human, the way God intended us to be human. Learning what it looks like to be like Jesus as we apprentice our lives to his life and just walk in his ways with emotional health and spiritual health. But it's a journey. How can we become more humble? I would say becoming more humble and growing in humility is like taking steps up a ladder. Now, this particular ladder has a top to it, but um, I would say the, the ladder of humility has no end. It would just continue going, that there's always steps that you can take. We talk a lot of this, as a church that everyone has a next step to take. Everyone in this room, you have a next step to take with God. Maybe your first step today was just to show up to church, which is awesome. I'm glad that you're here. And maybe your next step is to go, okay, how do I understand this God? And, and then how do I end up walking in the ways that Jesus has lined out for me? How do I become the best possible person that I can be in Christ Jesus? And there are steps that we can take in that. So I want to give you eight steps towards humility. I want to give you eight steps that, that we begin to walk on as we grow in humility. It's like walking up a ladder. I'm trying not to fall off this thing. They told me not to stand on this one, right? That says do not step. So first one, if you want to write this down, the first step towards humility is this. It's a fear of God and a mindfulness of him. A fear of God and a mind. This is the very first step is that we acknowledge that we're not God. That's the first step towards humility. And, and maybe that's why you're here at church today is because at some point in your life you realize that you weren't God. And that there is something else out there that's actually got his hands all over your life and all over the universe that we live in. It's the fear of God and the mindfulness of him to acknowledge the presence of God. Do you acknowledge that he's here with you right now? Do you acknowledge that God himself wants to speak to your heart right now? As you gather with all these people, some of which you don't know, some of which you do know, that God wants to speak your heart. So that's the first step towards humility is going, wow, God is here, and God wants to speak to me. The next step is this, doing God's will, and I love the little caveat here, not our own or other people's. So you acknowledge God, you are mindful of his presence, and the very next thing you do is you think, well, what does he want? If, if he is the creator of all things, certainly he has a way that he intends this world to run, a way that he, he, he believes that I will, I will experience the most life and the most fruitfulness. So what is that way of life? And, and, and the next step towards humility is going, I'm going to submit to his will. Like whatever he thinks is the best in my life, that's what I really want to do. I would say even in the church, there are people that uh, we would call practical atheists who would say, I'm a Christian, I believe there is a God. And yet if somebody were to take an audit of your life, of your, I would say of how you spend your time, how you spend your talents, how you use your treasure, uh, taken out of your finances, of the energy, of your thought life, would they know that you believe there's a God? It's a practical atheist. Somebody's like, I don't, you know, I believe there's a God, but I don't really live like there's a God. The, the next step towards humility is going, no, I'm going to actually align my lifestyle 
with this belief. I'm going to actually live out this belief in my life. Step three is this, the willingness to subject ourselves to the direction of others. Oh, this is so hard. This is a hard one, especially when people are not great leaders and they're not doing what you want them to. There's this other level of humility where we submit ourselves to God and then we look around in our lives and we go, okay, so then there's people in my life that I'm supposed to submit myself to. It's my boss. It's my parents. It's my manager. To some degree or another, we're, we're to submit ourselves to them. And the next level of humility is to actually begin to do that without grumbling, without gossiping, without an attitude, but to joyfully submit to the authority of others. Step four is this, uh, patiently accepting the difficulties of others. This is a hard one. This is a really hard one. How many of you know that life with others, especially in community, is full of aggravations? Some of you are aggravated already. You're too close to the person next to you. Like, could you just put some more seats in this room? We're working on it, by the way. Uh, some of you are, you just don't want to be around people in general. Other times, you're just like, no, there are certain people that aggravate me. You know, whether it's somebody in traffic or the person who, you know, leaves their food in the office refrigerator for way too long or doesn't do their dishes. Like, we are aggravated by difficult people. Here's my goal in life, get away from them. That's my goal in life. I just want to get away from aggravating people, difficult people, annoying people. Who wants to be around annoying people? But what if the annoying person in your life is there because you need them? What if they're actually there for you? I mean, you think you're there for them. You're like, oh no, here they come. They're going to gripe about their marriage again. The same problem that they always have. They're not going to take any steps towards healing in the marriage. They're not getting counseling. They're just going to come and gripe to me, and you're going to sit there, and you're going to listen, Right? And the whole time, you're going to deal with this obsession with yourself. And here's what happens. Difficult people have this way of eroding our obsession with ourselves. They have this way of dealing with our pride and teaching us about who we are and why we're here. So what if these difficult people are teaching you to be patient, teaching you how to love difficult people in your life? Step five is this. Radical honesty to others about our weaknesses and faults. This is huge. Radical honesty. You ever met somebody who's radically honest? Like, like you've never experienced the type of honesty that this person have, has. And I'm, I'm not talking about m marginal honesty or strategic honesty. Some people do this where they'll reveal certain parts of their life so that you don't worry about this stuff over here, the really deep stuff. So radical, honest about my life where I'm just willing to stop pretending that I'm something that I'm not and share with trusted friends about my limitations, about my problems, about my weaknesses, and actually begin to grow in those things. You see, a lack of humility in this area keeps us from moving forward because we're not being honest. It's where you begin to confess your, your sins and your problems to others. It's so clear that, that Scripture is clear. Confess your sins to one another so that you might be healed, which means if you don't confess your sins, you probably will struggle experiencing healing. It's a lost art, I would say, in the church today. Confession. And some of you need to leave church today, and you just need to start by being radically honest. Put your pride on the side and be honest with somebody. Step number six, deeply aware of being the chief of all sinners. So we're stealing that phrase from Paul himself, who calls himself the greatest of all sinners. And there's this moment where you stop judging the sins of others and you realize that yours are worse than anybody's. That's another level of humility, isn't it? 
where you're like, oh, that person, man, I can tell that they've got some major family issues. And, you know, oh, that girl, look, look how she's dressed. I'm sure that she's not a follower of Jesus. And you just stop, like, you stop judging other people's situation, and you just, you stop trying to pull the, the speck out of their eye and realize that you have a plank in your own eye. You go, man, I'm just, I'm, I'm the worst of the worst, and I'm a chief of all sinners. Not a, this isn't a self-hate. This isn't an invitation to abuse yourself, but to make us kind and gentle through the acknowledgement of our own sin. Isn't that what happens when you acknowledge your own sin? You become kind and gentle to others. Step number seven. Some of you are going to really hate this one. To be purposeful to speak less with more restraint. This takes humility, doesn't it? Where you can walk into a conversation or into a room and you don't have to give your opinion. You can actually bite your lip. And actually, this is near the top of the ladder because it, this is an overflow of a humble life. Somebody who understands humility, what they start doing is being a lot more quiet. Not that you can't be, you know, a loud person that enjoys having great conversation, but when you grow in humility, you don't have to talk. You choose to. You want to. But some of us have to. Some of us don't know what to do with silence. Step number eight, this is the last one. After all this, I believe we become transformed into the love of God. Transformed into God's love. Humility is always expressed in love. This is what happens. As you walk your way up the ladder, what will happen is people around you, they're going to feel so loved. They're going to feel cared for. And, and your, your love will flow towards people. It will flow towards God himself because you are so humbled. This is not false humility. Th these are not, this is not a, a way of like, creating humility in your life in, in a sense that you're trying to project it. This is a real humility that gets deep down in your heart that is grounded in the acknowledgement that there is a God and that he loves you despite you. That's humility. And so everything else flows from that and then out of that flows a love for others. I want to contend this today. Listen, do you know that we're here to express the love of Jesus to the world? Do you know that, that we were given a commission by Christ to go and make disciples? Do you know that? It's the last thing he did was tell the world, or tell the, tell the, the believers of the day, hey, go and make dis disciples, teaching them all that I've commanded you, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. That is your role in the world if you're a Christian here today. I want to tell you, I believe the one thing that is lacking and missing in modern-day evangelism is humility. I think the one thing that the people in your life are thirsty for are to see Christians who are actually humble. Not Christians who feign humility just to try to get their way into their lives, but people who are actually humble. And I would say as a church, we try to model this, that if you don't believe what we believe, we say this, you don't, you don't have to believe what we believe to belong. You can be here and you can think whatever you think, but we want you to join the conversation. We want you to ask questions because guess what? We have questions. And we want to go on a journey with you because there are some things about this that I believe will change your life. That when you get to know Jesus, it's going to be better for you and for everyone. And so this is a gift we want to give you, not something we're trying to ram down your throat. So what if the, the base note for modern-day evangelism was humility? How differently would people begin to view the church? How differently would they begin to view you? And how much, more, how much more open would people start to be to the truth of Christ? Because people love Jesus, they just hate Christians. That's just the truth of it. But what if we were to start to change that for our city? And Eagle River was like, no, we love Christians because they are humble like Jesus. I think it would change the way that people saw the church. So I'm going to close out.
with two things, two realities that I think we're going to start to believe as we walk up the ladder of humility from the book of Philippians. And so if you want to open your Bible there, uh, you can. This is Philippians chapter 3. This is Paul speaking uh, of the proud and religious people of the day who find their own accomplishments to be their identity. And they feel like they are something because of what they've accomplished. This is a really famous passage, and and it's beautiful that Paul writes it because Paul was, he accomplished everything that these people had experienced and more. I mean, Paul had credentials, and and, and there's nothing more powerful than somebody speaking about pride who's, who's actually accomplished a lot, right? If somebody hasn't accomplished much and they're speaking about pride, you're like, well, I get why you're humble, because you're a loser, right? I'm serious, like, we think that. But, but Paul, Paul was not a loser. Paul was the religious elite. Paul had all the letters before his name, all of the influence. Paul had authority in his day. He, he lived what was considered an upright life, a holy life. Like, he was the one that you're, like, teaching your kids, go be like Paul, look, look at him. He's, he's a model to live after. And here's what he says In the message translation, I love how it's put. Philippians chapter 3, verse 7. The very credentials these people are waving around as something special, I'm tearing up and throwing out with the trash. Along with everything else I used to take credit for. And why? Because of Christ. Yes, all things that I once thought were so important are gone from my life compared to the high privilege of knowing Christ Jesus as my master firsthand. Everything I once thought I had going for me is insignificant. Dog dung. Love the Bible. I've dumped it all in the trash so that I could embrace Christ and be embraced by him. I didn't want some petty, inferior brand of righteousness that comes from keeping a list of rules when I could get the robust kind that comes from trusting Christ, God's righteousness. What a great verse, right? It's one of the times that Paul cusses in the Bible. I'd cuss in church, but I'll use my chips elsewhere. I'll offend you with something else. But listen, this is, that's, this is the type of language that he's using. Like, it is trash. It is worthless. Everything that I've acquired is nothing. And you can write this down. Everything becomes nothing when it's all about me. This is the belief that you start to develop as you walk up the ladder. You're like, you know what? Everything that I've done becomes nothing when it's all about me. Notice I didn't say that everything you've done is nothing. There is value to what you've done when you understand that it's about the kingdom of God. And this is what Paul's realizing is, he's not saying that he's never done anything of value. He's saying just, all of my credentials are worthless apart from the kingdom. I think Paul realizes that he is Job. Just like you and I, I think, should realize today, we are all Job. We are all on a journey to losing everything. It's a great sermon. Thank you very much. You're on a journey to losing everything. I'm out, right? You are. We're on a journey to lose everything except what you've invested into the kingdom. Those things will last. So everything goes away except for what you have invested in the kingdom. This is what Paul gets. He's like, you know what? The the only thing lasting, the only thing eternal is the kingdom of God. God's reign and rule on earth just like it is in heaven. The whole world, all of this life is all winding down to this moment where God establishes his reign and his rule right here just like it is in heaven. And so start today. Live like that today. And this is what Paul realizes, is that everything becomes nothing when it's all about me. The credentials aren't bad. The rank isn't bad. The prestige isn't bad, but it is when it's all about you. It's worthless. It's not worth anything. But when you leverage accomplishments for the kingdom of God, it's amazing. 
You see, I believe in the church, we should have people that are doing great at what they do. Sure, pursue the next job, pursue the promotion, pursue the next rank, pursue the business. I mean, develop leaders, get a lot of people underneath you who are, who are learning from you. Disciple people, but do it for the kingdom of God. Yeah, yeah, grow in your finances. I mean, learn to make a lot of money and do it for the kingdom of God. Yeah, get, get prestige, get authority, get people to, to, to be following you, but do it for the kingdom of God. And when you do, I think that people will begin to see Jesus. They'll begin to see Jesus in Christians. They'll begin to see Jesus in the world, the real Jesus. Jesus says it this way, Matthew 13, 44, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up, then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. He's walking along, and he finds the kingdom of heaven, and he realizes this is the most valuable thing I've ever seen in my entire life. And he thinks to himself, I would give up everything to get this. And so he goes, and he sells everything to acquire the land, to acquire that property so that he can have that. What would you sell everything for? Like, what would it take for you to go put everything you own on Craigslist for? It'd have to be something of great value, wouldn't it? Like, you would have to be like, I would be stupid not to, not to liquidate all of my assets to acquire this thing. I'd be stupid not to, right? This is how this man feels about the kingdom of God. He doesn't just go liquidate what he has. He actually sells everything to buy this with joy. With joy. Have you ever done that before? Like, you found a great deal on a new car, Right? And, and it's like, it is a stupid, it'd be stupid not to. And so you go and joyfully sell your car because you're like, this is an amazing deal. I'd be dumb not to go for this. And that's how it is when you get what the kingdom of God is about. I mean, it is a wise man or woman who sells what they cannot keep to get what they cannot lose. And that's wisdom, right? And so that's what we do as we start to realize the kingdom is, is everything, and we're humbled by it, and we'll do anything we can possibly do to grow it and to see it established here on earth and all around us. Now, maybe you're here, and you're like, well, no, that is me. Now, see, I do sacrifice a lot, Brian. You see, this is a different brand of pride. It's the, the brand that leads to self-righteousness. There's a certain brand of pride that causes people in this room to think that you can actually put God into your debt instead of realizing that you will forever be in his. We will all forever be in debt to God, a debt that we couldn't pay and that we shouldn't even try to. See, the grace that we receive is grace. It's a gift. It means you can't buy it, which means you can't lose it. Praise God. It means you can't lose it. And so, so you can go screw it up today. You didn't buy it, so you can't lose it. It's that good. That's an amazing gift. It's the kind of thing you would give everything up for as a result of receiving it not as a way of receiving it. And so this is what this man does. I think some of us here today, maybe you are a really righteous, maybe you are a Paul, and you need to repent of your own righteousness today and receive a righteousness that's from Christ alone. That's what he says. Like, I give it up all. I give all of my self-righteousness up to receive God's righteousness. And Jesus shows us what true humility looks like. I love this. I love that God didn't just tell us to go and be humble. He says, you know what? I've, I'm personally going to go model this for you. I'm going to show you what true humility looks like, what it means to be spiritually and emotionally healthy in your emotions and to come to this world and actually be, be stable and grounded in, in who you are and your identity from the Father 
so that you can actually humble yourself. You don't need to earn anything. You don't need to prove anything. It doesn't matter what others think or even what you think. It says this in Philippians 2, chapter 5. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. We're not even in the form of God, and we count equality with God as a thing to be grasped. Jesus is in the form of God and says, I'm going to humble myself. Verse 7, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Okay, so Jesus gives up everything. Remember, Jesus is eternal. He's always existed with God, the, God, the, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, all eternal. He steps out of heaven, emptying himself of who he was to become human, like us. Verse 9, therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So Jesus humbles himself, gives up everything and then who exalts him? The Father does. He didn't exalt himself. God, the Father, Jesus says, I only do what the Father tells me to do. The Father actually, through his obedience, exalts him. Through his obedience to, to go to the point of death, to sacrifice his life, lifts him up. Ultimately in resurrection, right? We see that Jesus didn't stay in the ground. He was taken out of the ground. And I just want to tell you today, if you're worried, if you're like, well, if I do this, who am I? Well, you realize exactly who you are. You're not God. But I want you to know that those who humble themselves will be highly exalted by God. And this is the last point. Becoming nothing is how I become everything God created me to be. You want to become everything that God wants you to be? Make yourself nothing. Let God, the creator of the universe, exalt you. Isn't that better? Instead of bowing up to God, Instead of saying, okay, no, I, I think that I can do it. I think I can make a face for myself and give myself this position of authority, realizing, no, no I'm going to be humbled, acknowledge God's authority over all things, and I'm going to lower myself so that God might raise me up. Once again, it's so good that you would want to do great things in this life. It is so good that you have huge dreams and that you want to accomplish things in this life. It's so good that you want influence and opportunity in this life. It's a good thing only when your pursuit is the kingdom. Only when it flows from a realization of the, of the grace that you've received. And so pursue those things. Allow God the Father to lift you up. See, those who are exalted by God don't need to exalt themselves. When you're lifted up by God, you don't need to lift yourself up. He's already done it. And humility is a byproduct of a life that's grounded in the gospel, the good news, realizing that you didn't earn anything in the first place. So here's the gospel, if you didn't know what it is. Here's the good news today. Jesus made himself nothing so that you could be lifted up, so that you could make yourself nothing, so that others could be lifted up. And this is your call as a disciple maker, is that you would make yourself nothing, just like Christ did. He modeled it beautifully. And God will lift you up, and he will use you in ways that you never thought you could be used accomplishing things that will last in this world. And others will be lifted up and they'll be, they'll be motivated and challenged by you so that they can go and humble themselves 
and so that they can lift other people up. This is what happens in the movement of the kingdom and of people who understand humility. So what do you do this week? How will you humble yourself? Maybe you're just going to take one less selfie this week, right? <laughs> Maybe you can't, if you can't think of the last time that somebody else took a picture of you, it might be time to take one less selfie. So maybe this week you're like, you know, I don't, I don't need to do that. I, I don't need to take another picture of me this week. I'm going to be okay with that. I'm going to fight my pride. Maybe, maybe this week you're going to give a really difficult person a minute of your time. Typically you try to get away from them as quickly as you, oh, I got something to do, sorry. But this week you're going to like lean in to the awkward and the uncomfortable that is dealing with this person and let them have your time and steal a little bit of your productivity so that you can just combat the pride in your heart. Maybe this week you're going to serve somebody. Somebody has done something wrong to you. They don't deserve it. In fact, they're the last person that you want to serve. But as you want to climb the ladder of humility, you're like, you know what's going to kill my pride this week? Serving that person. You already know who they are, don't you? They already popped in your mind. Don't elbow, right? Be careful. So maybe you're just going to go serve that person this week generously, joyfully serving that person, joyfully giving up what you think that you deserve for someone else so that you might acquire another level of humility. Once again, you guys, this is not a pursuit of morality. This is not a way of getting God into your debt. You don't get to the top of the ladder and, and, and earn something or expect something from God. No, God has given you everything. He's called you a, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, sons and daughters of the king, saints. That's what he calls you as those who empty, enter into a relationship with him. So he's given you everything already. You have nothing else that you can get. Just spend the rest of your life living in the identity that he's granted you by his grace. Let's pray together. God, I just want to acknowledge the blind spots in my life, that there is pride that I don't see. And um, here's my prayer for us, Father, is that you would show it to us. For me, for our church, that you would show us our pride. Father, that we might accomplish things because of you. Not because we would lift ourselves up, because we've been lifted up by the Father. God, we need to do nothing more here to acquire your love. You have already chosen to love us. In our sin, you chose to love us. In our rejection of you, you chose to love us. In our rebellion, you went to the cross for us. And all you do is call out to us to come. So God, can we just lay down our righteousness today? We lay down our accomplishments and our credentials and might we receive from you, maybe for the first time today, just the grace that you want to pour out on us. And, and God, could we, could we feel that as we worship in the next few moments, even in our emotions? Could we feel that you've given us so much and we so don't deserve it? And Father, that through that humility that you well up inside of our hearts, we would be able to praise you so openly today. God, could we lift our hands in praise and not worry about what other people think? Can we open our lips and sing even though we sing terribly? Can we be the kind of people that this week go and share the good news that is in Jesus, that Jesus is Lord, and do it without worrying about what other people might think of, the, of what we're saying, Father? Open our lips, open our hearts, open our souls to you, God, because you've been so good to us. Give us that deep convic conviction deep down in our souls of what you've done, and let it flow out into our lives and into our world in humility.
We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Love you guys. Thanks.